the American people will soon find out if the United States is going to war. Fires are raging across Brazil's Amazon rainforest. At the stroke of midnight, the U.S. hit China with tariffs on $34 billion worth of goods. Hurricane Dorian made landfall with wind speeds of 185 miles per hour. Multiple drones bombed Saudi Arabia's largest oil facilities today. 60,000 people have fled their homes in northeastern Syria. It's like these 500-year floods or 100-year floods. They're happening every other year. Anti-government protesters in Hong Kong have taken to the streets. The magnitude 7.1 quake was felt from Los Angeles all the way to Nevada. It is one of the worst escalations of violence on the Israel-Gaza border in years. The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Randy Reams is pastor of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. Join Pastor Randy now as he shares truths from God's unchanging word. You know, Daniel could have just prayed privately, could have shut the window. So when he's going to God and praying and asking God to keep him out of the lion's den, all he had to do was shut the window. Nobody would have seen him. I mean, after all, didn't Jesus say in Matthew 6, when you pray, go into your private chamber? See, I got scripture for it. Daniel should have just shut his window, did it privately. Or he could have just simply for 30 days not prayed at all. Or just prayed in his mind. Again, in Matthew 6, it tells us that God knows that we're going to pray before we ever do it. So can't I just think it? Couldn't have Daniel done that and, and by New Testament, aligned himself properly with Scripture? Uh-huh. The, these officials obviously are spying on Daniel. They see him do this like he always has done. They probably didn't even have to do that. They just knew that he did it and went and told the king that. They didn't necessarily have to see him. Listen to what they say. They come to him and they remind him of his order. And, and Darius goes, and yes, I know it can't be revoked. The somehow enough they've reiterated that, that Darius, Darius, yeah, yeah, and I know it can't be revoked. Here's what they say in verse 13. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, Pays no attention to you. First, tried to disparage his character by saying the foreigner. You know, one of those Jewish guys. Pays no attention to you. Is that true? Not, not if he's been prospering like Scripture says. Not if the king's wanting to make him the head of the kingdom of all the officials. He's obviously been listening to the king. But they want to take his disobedience to this one, I'll call it restraining order, this one rule, and turn around and say, he don't even listen to you. O king, or the injunction you signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. It's amazing how they want to twist things. You know, he just, he doesn't pay. He doesn't really care about you, King. He's got this thing he does. You signed this thing, and he don't really care. 
The Bible tells us that Darius in verse 14 is deeply distressed and he set his mind to deliver Daniel. This is big. He set his mind as the king of kings, which he called himself, to deliver Daniel. Of course, the officials remind him throughout the day that this law cannot be revoked. Darius hadn't figured out yet that you can be the king and you still can't get people to stop hating God's people. Good luck. Okay, and, and, I, and, I, and I use this, I think it was Wednesday night, example. If you were in school, college, high school, wherever, and somebody gets hold of the next exam, and they share it with everybody in the class, and they come to you, here you go, you can study, you, and you go, oh, no, 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 no thanks. Are they going to like you? What's your problem? You want to make us all look bad? Just doing right, desiring to do right will get you hated. I will prove it to you from Scripture in a minute. Okay, To do what's right in God's eyes will cause you to be despised. And governments will never stop that. Daniel's brought before Darius. Listen to what Darius says. Your God, whom you constantly serve, not just on Sundays, constantly serve, will himself deliver you. Remember, Darius has already tried to deliver. That's, a, that's almost a statement of faith from Darius. Daniel lived such a life that the unbelieving king knew that his God, Daniel's, would deliver him. Or at least said it. Daniel's thrown in the lion's den, and it tells us this particularly. He's thrown in the den, and the king and all the officials, the key ones, put their signet ring on the seal. They want to make sure nobody opens the stone over the den, including Darius. They're all putting their official stamp on this persecution. The Bible says that Darius couldn't even eat. He didn't entertain that night, and he didn't sleep much. Soon as the sun's up, he goes to the den and asks Daniel if he's in there. I don't know how so soon, okay. Right? Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you constantly serve. Uh-oh, there's repetition. Anything, know anything about Hebrew repetitions making a point. Whom you constantly serve. Has he been able to deliver you from the lions? Now listen to Daniel's response I find intriguing. O king, live forever. Daniel still speaks respectfully and honorably to the king. Who, who's got him in there with his signet ring on it? He still speaks respectfully. That's a statement of respect to the king. No injury whatsoever. Excuse me. He says, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. They have not harmed me in so much as I was found 
innocent before him, that is God, and also towards you, O king, I have committed no crime. You know, it is one thing for me to look at Glenn here in the front row and say, I haven't done anything to offend you or wrong against you, but to say I haven't done anything against God before him in this particular case. It also tells me, though, that Daniel's thought process, he didn't sin there either. I would suggest to you the reason he was able to do that because he lived constantly for his God. That practice of prayer and stuff three times a day, for example. Then the king gave orders, verse 24. Oh, excuse me. It says they brought him out in verse 23, and no injury, whatever was found on him, because he trusted in his God. Now, let me ask you, when did that trust begin? When they threw him in? How, how, how about when he went and prayed in front of that window after the rule was given? Is that when he trusted him? He's been in captivity for more than 50 years. He's lived a life of trust in God. I would suggest to you, and I think most of you know this, that we trust God most in those situations when the adversity comes. And then the king, you've heard me tell the kids in verse 24, then the king gave orders and they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and cast them, their children, their wives into the lion's den and they had not reached the bottom of the den <coughs> before the lions overpowered them and crushed their bones. The angel shut them and didn't touch Dan. These guys, they started chomping on before they hit the bottom. It tells me this. It wasn't that the lions weren't hungry. I've read commentary by those who doubt miracles that the lions just weren't at their feeding time because he throws them in at night, this kind of thing. I'd like to show them the video of the lions hunting at night that you see in Africa. The king gives this edict throughout the land. Then Darius makes this decree. Men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. The beginning of wisdom is what? The fear of God. Not overwhelming feeling of love from God. I'll get emails on that one. The beginning was, is the fear of God. Who can damn your soul to hell? As Jesus' words. Don't fear men who could do this to the body, but there's one... There should be not just reverential fear, but flat out shaking your boots afraid of what the Almighty God can do. Fear the wrath of the Almighty. I know, that's old school. But listen, why fear him? For he is the living God and enduring forever. Therefore, since he is the living God and he lives forever... His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed and his dominion will last forever. <clears throat> his kingdom is what it is because of who he is. If you don't understand who he is, you will not understand how the kingdom works. 
The kingdom operates the way it does because of who God is in his very nature and his character. It's so important. I sat down with working on some stuff with Timothy for or the discipleship stuff. And, and I'd ask my wife and others, if we were going to do, when we do, a new believers class, someone who knew to Christ, what would be all the top five things you'd want people to know that you think is important? Okay, One of them is who God is. That divine exchange we sang about, right? What are we talking about? What's exchanged? My sin for his righteousness. Christ is eternally righteous. <laughs> okay, so one of the, you're not getting it. One of the first things I would want a new believer to know is the finality of their salvation because it's based in who Christ is, not in who I am. His right, you could never, if I put on a scale, Christ's righteousness, how much could you do to overthrow that, to bring the scales back? You can't. It's his righteousness that's been imputed to my account. You couldn't put enough debits in that account to delinquish or relinquish or diminish or countermand the righteousness that's put there. Amen. Because of who God is, that makes your salvation secure. Amen. If you don't know who he is, you don't understand how the kingdom works. Too many people judge how the kingdom works on what they see in people. We need to get rid of the church and do something different because people do and people that, and to understand our idea of church comes from who God is, in particular the Godhead. I'm not going to break that apart. Now, he is, his kingdom, his dominion endures forever. Verse 27, he delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He is the one who delivered Daniel from the lion's den. I would like to say to you, God still delivers and still rescues. If one person comes to Christ, he still performs signs and wonders. I, there are many theologians I love to study, some who don't necessarily believe that miracles take place today, then I would say to them, nobody gets saved today. There is no greater miracle. The, raise the dead. That is, well, wait a minute. That's what happened when somebody gets saved, isn't it? They're spiritually dead, brought to life. It's God's mighty hand. As he delivers, rescues, it is the greatest miracle you will ever see. I have ran into Christians over the years. I've never seen a miracle. Are you saved? Have you been declared righteous by God? Don't tell me you've never seen a miracle. You are one. We, you all have seen before one of the made, hardest things of a person is not to change their outside. It's to change their inside. There might even be people in your life who go, they'll never change. I've known him, her for 30 years. They ain't going to change. That's not possible. It is possible with God. I've seen him change the worst. A couple application points. If someone sought to accuse you, 
in regards to your ethics, your work ethic, the way you treat your family, pick it, could they? Would they say like they did, the only way we're going to get this guy is in what we see in his relationship, his religion, the law of his God. Would it be easy or difficult? I'm going to be honest. We are all sinners. It is possible. But will it be easy? Would they have to do a six-year-long investigation? Or could they follow you around for one day? Let's do the reverse of that. If you were being accused of being a follower of Christ, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I think you've heard that before. If right now, I'm not saying we're there, going to be there soon, and they outlawed Christianity, and, and a neighbor accused you of being one, and you were put into court, could you be convicted? And by the way, going to church doesn't make you one. There's plenty of people that go to church that aren't followers of Christ. Do your daily habits testify for or against you in your walk with Christ? If these guys were plotting against you, does your daily habitual living in such a way that they go, you know, if we pass this law, I know I can get him or her because they always... But I want to end with this wonderful thing. 2 Timothy 3 and 12. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ will be persecuted. Now, listen carefully. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ. Does it say you will? Just your desire to do so you will be persecuted. Well, I, I, don't, I don't do it, Pastor, but I'm trying. I want it. That's enough. That's enough to get you persecuted. When persecution comes, you have better have practiced your praise. When persecution comes like it did for Daniel, you will default to your habits. You will default to your habits. Let me put it in another way that you've probably heard it, but says something similar. Train up a child in the way they should go and they will not depart from it. The habits you train a child to have, those habits a child will keep. The habits you train yourself, there are the habits you will keep. Right now, if for some, you know, somebody invaded, whoever, I don't know how you do it, and Christianity was made illegal, the practice of Christianity with its practices made Bibles became illegal, would, you, would your default habits, what would they be? I, I, I don't, some of you would be convicted immediately. Because when I hang with you, you can't help. Rocky can't help but talk about God. He can't help but just happens. It's going to happen. He'd be convicted real quick. Others, basketball. You'd be convicted of being a basketball fan. Or guns. 
or whatever your thing is. I might be convicted of being a grandparent because I talk about my grandkids. I don't argue that. But I, what do you default to? Do you default to your knees? The Bible says Daniel got on his knees. I'm not saying you have to do that. But do you default to your knees or do you default to going to seek advice from someone first? Do you default to MasterCard or Visa first? Do, do you default to your knees? You can only be the one who judges that. You're the only one. Because to be honest, most of us don't pray in front of a window. Most of us pray in our private times, our private life. So I, I, I can't judge that. But God promises you persecution, so I suggest it is a habit that you developed now. I find it intriguing that in Europe, you had this slow moral decay. And then this law, then this law, and this law. To church relatively in Europe has no power in, at all, not power in the governmental power, all right, and, and is not an influence on their culture. It's definitely an unchristianized part of the world. That's what's been happening in our country. Little at a time. Take, 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 take the Bible out of school, 1962, 63. Take prayers. And this abortion in these cases, now, now abortion after they're born. That concerned me. You know what's got me excited? Persecution. No, in California, you cannot sing like we just did about how great is our God. Bring the persecution, because I'm going to take you another part of the world. Let's take you to China, where it wasn't a slow moral decay. It was communism came in, we're atheists, no religion done, and Christianity exploded. More Christians, there are more Christians in China, not just because of birth rate, <coughs> but because persecution came, the church flourished. I would suggest to you the persecution you see in America today against Christians is what you have been praying for. You have watched the so slow moral decay and say, ah, help, give us a president that passes moral laws. That ain't the answer. That lulls us to sleep a little at a time. Persecute the church and see what happens. We'll get on our knees Congress passes another law. The day comes, go by. You don't get on your knees that day about it at all. Tell me I can't worship. Tell me that Christians, you could read an article in the New York Times, that Christians are the problem today. Uh, that's why I'm excited about the time we live. The enemy has challenged the church of God directly. No more sneaking behind the scenes. He's come straight at it. Oh, watch out. That's what they did to the earth, Satan did to the early church, and he hasn't learned yet. Go forth in Judea, right, Samaria, and the other parts of the world. No, they hung out in Jerusalem. They didn't go anywhere. Until there's persecution. We have been lulled asleep long enough. Arise, O church, because the devil's in your face. But you better have the right habits 
now. Let's stand. Israel was in a time of moral decay. God makes a promise through the prophet Ezekiel who started prophesying at the beginning of, the middle of, the beginning of this captivity. And I will give your people a heart of flesh for a heart of stone. Ezekiel chapter 20, 36. The next chapter is Ezekiel 37. And he gives the prophet a vision of a valley of very dry bones. He tells the prophet, this is Israel. Prophesy of the bones. You know the story. Sinew comes on. Prophesy to the breath, the spirit. God was promising life to his people in the midst of a time when things were dry, that they were in rebellion. And he says this in chapter 20 or 36. I'm not doing this for you. I'm doing this for my name's sake. God is going to do a mighty thing in his church, not for the church, but for his name. He's defending his name when we, those with his label, Christian, have defamed it among the nations. He's going to vindicate his name. Watch what God's going to do in the years to come. Father, I thank you for your word. It brings life and breath as your Holy Spirit illuminates it to us. God, I thank you that these things that were written so long ago was written for our instruction, that we might know you. God, I ask that you speak to the hearts of everyone hearing this message. First, recognize you are doing a mighty thing. That the enemy has been put before us blatantly, straight in our face, that we would rise up, that we wouldn't hide behind a closed window. But God, your people need the habits, the daily walk that carries them through times of persecution that helps your church be victorious. God, I ask you to call your people to prayer and then more prayer and then more prayer. And in those times, we will give thanksgiving to you, God, in the midst of the persecution because you are the only one whose kingdom is forever and the only one who rescues and delivers. To you be all the glory, I pray. Amen. This is Pastor Randy Reams, and I want to thank you for joining us today for Truths from God's Unchanging Word. This broadcast is a ministry outreach of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. And if you'd like to hear this message in its entirety or other messages, just visit kindredbible.org forward slash media. And there you can also subscribe to the podcast. If you're being ministered to by this broadcast, I'd like to ask you to consider financially supporting this ministry. Giving is easy. Just go to kindredbible.org forward slash give. There you can make a one-time gift or you can choose to become a monthly supporter. But if you prefer, you can send your gift to KBC PO Box 32, Nampa, Idaho 83653. Your prayers, words of encouragement, and financial support helps ensure that this broadcast will continue to be heard in your region and around the world. 
Again, I'd like to thank you for listening to Truths from God's Unchanging Word.